then you're good. Cool. Okay, welcome to the Freedom Abstinence No Matter What Letting Go of the Food Workshop. My name is Angela, and I am a compulsive overeater. And your moderator for this meeting, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic devices be turned off now. We remind you that this session is being taped and all speakers must sign the release form. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. The format for this session is as follows. Well, we have... We had three speakers scheduled, so if the third one arrives, that'll be fine. So we'll have two or three speakers who will share for 18 minutes each, followed by questions from the floor to the panelists. The topic for this session is freedom, abstinence, no matter what, letting go of the food. The following is a reading from Voices of Recovery, page 159. Your commitment to abstinence from compulsive overeating is the most important thing in your life without exception. You may believe other things come first, but if you do not abstain from compulsive overeating and practice moderation at meals, you may destroy your chance of finding health, happiness, self-understanding, and peace of mind. If you are convinced that everything in life depends upon your practice of abstinence, you almost certainly will achieve these goals from before you take that first compulsive bite, remember. These words remind me that abstinence requires commitment and consistency. Commitment means I put abstinence first before anything or anyone. This may sound selfish, but staying abstinent is the only way I can focus that, I'm sorry, staying abstinent is the only way I can take my focus off food and put it on others. Commitment means I plan ahead for the right foods at the right times and do the spiritual work that allows me to access my higher power. Consistency means I recommit to abstinence each day, no excuses. These words remind me that I am not a victim of a disease about which I can do nothing. I alone am responsible for accessing the higher power that keeps me abstinent. Our first speaker is... Siddiqui R, am I saying it correctly? Yeah, you do. <laughs> wow. Hello. My name is Siddiqui. I'm a grateful recovering, recovering compulsive overeater. I'm also a grateful recovering bulimic. I have a timer. Hey, how are you? Thank you. Thank you for your service, Carol. Um, I have the gift of abstinence for 24 years. It's by the grace of God that, yeah, thank you, that um, my abstinence includes not having sugar. I count the ingredients. It's not after, it has to be after the fifth ingredients. Um, Not having gluten, not having soy, selectively having dairy, not binging, not purging, not having laxatives, watching my amount of exercising, not over, not under, 
and just generally looking at food as not a recreational product, not um, an emotional, um, not an emotional blanket, but as something that feeds my body emotionally, spiritually, and keeps me in balance. It's more like a, a chemistry set. So I look at food as what is going to, I look at the food and I think how am I going to behave, think, and act if I eat that thing. Um, and I have been abstinent long enough that I know when I look at a food exactly how I'm going to feel when I ingest that food. And the reason why I go straight to the food is because my life today is really not about the food. My life today is about a life of recovery and freedom from the food. However, when I stray from that scientific formula that I have dialed in of what not to include in my food plan, I immediately feel the effects of it. And so when I look at foods that are not like within that well-dialed-in realm that bring me that freedom and that peace of mind, you know, body, mind, and spirit, I have, where I have clarity and I'm able to show up in the world and be of service, when I have foods that are outside of that, because I'm not absolutely perfect. When I came into this program, back when I was 16, my mom brought me into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous in upstate New York. And I remember thinking, there is no way in hell I'm going to do the gray sheet. I, you know, my first thought was, first of all, I'm not going to be one of these ladies. And my second thought was, like, I'm not going to not have wedding cake. You know, I went right to, like, what I couldn't have for the rest of my life. And I think that that's where a lot of us go in terms of we, it's not a one day at a time thing. It's like what I can't have for the rest of my life rather than what is it that I'm looking for today, which for me, I keep going towards I want to have freedom today so that I can be in the moment. And that's how I've really dialed into um, the topic is, you know, freedom from that bondage, freedom from the obsession, freedom from the food no matter what. And so my abstinence back then when I walked into my first OA meeting at 16 was no way in hell am I going to do what is on that gray sheet, which was the only available option back then in OA. And then so I walked out of the doors of OA, and I said, I'm not willing to do that. And so what happens, as, as we know from the beverage program, what they say is insanity, institutions, and death. And what happened was three years later, I ended up on a locked psychiatric ward in New York City, where I was in and out for two years for my eating disorder and where they tried to, through behavior modification, teach me how to have a different relationship with food, which was completely unsuccessful. Because if you have this disease, if you have this dis-ease in relationship to food, there's no way that you can just have one piece of that sugar item and not trigger what they talk about in Alcoholics Anonymous as the physical allergy of the body that leads to the obsession of the mind. And so in the psychiatric ward... Back in the day, if you had, you know, dual addiction or if you had, like me, major depression and the eating disorder, what they tried to do is they tried to teach you to have one piece of that thing. Well, they didn't understand that there's a physical allergy of the body 
for people like me that gives rise to the mental obsession. And so, yeah, I can have one piece of this because I'm a bulimic and I'm a control freak with things, and I control it physically, but my mind is insane. And all I can focus on is when the next time I'm going to have that thing is. And so my whole life becomes about like, okay, a chart, and I have it charted out when I'm going to have the next thing. And it says that in, um, in Alcoholics Anonymous, in the big book, it says, if you're not sure you're an alcoholic, go out and try some controlled drinking. And that's what I would say about the foods that you're not sure about. If you're not sure about it, go out and try some controlled eating of that thing and see if it gives rise to that allergy of the body. It's the same way with me with cats. Like, I love cats. My boyfriend had a cat. And... Um, I can't help but pick Callie up and start, like, petting her. And before I know it, I'm kissing her, and my face is in her fur, and, like, my eyes are swelling shut, and my throat is swelling shut, and I'm, like, with the inhaler, and my nose is dripping, and, I'm, and I have hives all my, over my face, and I am miserable. And I'm taking, like, all the allergy medications, and I'm at the doctor getting the shots, and it doesn't matter. I have a physical reaction to the cat. And I'm so insane that every time I walk in the door, I'm like, Callie! And I pick up the cat, and I stuff my face in her fur. And thats it's the same thing with food. It's no different. It's a physical allergy of the body. And the crazy thing in my mind is that somehow... I somehow think it's going to be different every time I pick up the cat. I somehow think it's going to be different the next time I pick up that food item. And that's why one day at a time, I just release it. And I have like this gray area. I have this gray zone. And for me, it's some carbohydrate items. And they're not like danger, danger, will rob on, you know, they don't make me crazy. They just make me lethargic. And so the next day after I eat said items, it's one in particular, it's a grain. I, I by and large, don't even have grains in my diet, but I have one grain. And, um, and it's just me. I'm not saying this is what I love about the evolution of OA. And if you stay around long enough, as I have, you'll see that it has evolved. It went from like the gray sheet to like there was a pink green. There was like the rainbow color of sheets. And, um, and, and now we've gotten to the place where it's like, go to a medical professional and find out what's right for you. And so I've gone through many medical professionals and, and I've, you know, gone through the nutritionist and then I've gone through the naturopathic nutritionist and then I went through the food testing and all that. And finally, I just found out that my own true north is my emotional state because my emotional state, that's my physical allergy. My physical allergy of the body shows up in my emotions. And so I become like a crazy lady when I eat something that I'm allergic to. And I also get incredibly lethargic or tired or I get a migraine or I get really emotional. I get really weepy. And so if I eat something the next day, I'm going to be really tired and just out of it. So now I really quite literally look at the food and I think, can I have, what am I doing tomorrow in my life? Can I afford to lose, like, the morning to eating this food? Can I afford to lose half a day to, like, what I'm going to eat right now? And I know that, to, like, my boyfriend said, do you want me to come today 
<laughs> he's a normie. I'm like, no, honey, I'm going to drop you off at the golf course. Because, um, you know, to a certain extent, it's like I'm so, I'm so sensitive. And he, like, he watches how I eat, and he, like, he sees the moods and stuff like that. But, like, you know, I keep close to my heart this program. I'm in, you know, I'm in a couple of other programs. I'm in the beverage program, and I think they're a bunch, they're a little tougher than we are. They're like the cowboys, you know, they're the, they're the wild west of the 12-step programs. And we're like, we're a little more fragile than they are. And, um, and, you know, they're kind of the cool kids in high school. They're like the cheerleaders in high school and the football players of the 12-step programs. And I always felt that way, you know, because here I am in my teens in OA and also in the beverage program. And, and they just, they, they make it look cooler. And so when he said, do you want to come? I'm like, you know, talking about food is kind of like talking about your underwear or, you know, <laughs> your period or something in high school. It's like, it's, it's just, for me, it's just so intimate because it really is directly related to um, my body. And it's when you get it to the place where over the years you watch your body shift and change like I have. I mean, I started in my teens, and now I'm, I'm 46. And I've really watched now I'm in, you know, I went through a hysterectomy. And so I went through menopause in the hysterectomy, and I, I had to change my food around the hysterectomy because I noticed how food changed my moods and, and my, my body changed. And so we watch as we grow older in this program how, how our foods and our moods Change. So I want to talk now about, um, I'm just going to go non sequitur into something that's like more exciting, which is I, you know, my career has taken me all over the world. And I've had the privilege um, of living with Buddhist nuns in India and traveling to South Africa. And I've been in some really hairy food situations. Like the Buddhist nuns in India, like all they ate was white rice and like rancid yak butter tea. Um, I know, yuck, right? I mean, what meal plan is that on? <laughs> That's like two fats, and I don't know where the rancid tea part comes in. And like, you know, the rice is all carbohydrates. And um, there's a part where you have to, tra- like, you're, you have to just trust. What I learned is that there's the, there's the very nitty-gritty um, physical density part of our program, where you show up and you have it dialed in and you know what you need to eat. And then there's the part where, like, you really just have to believe in God and be spiritual about it. And when you're in situations like living with Buddhist nuns, you just have to be like, just this is what it is. There's no protein. There's no vegetables. There's nothing that I recognize that, like, fits in any in any part of my OA program. And, like, I'm just going to have to be okay and trust God and trust that I'm not going to freak out. And maybe I'm going to gain a little bit of weight eating this way. And it's just going to be okay because, you know what, the whole point of getting into this program, the whole point of getting abstinent was to get spiritual and to get freedom. And you know what? That's what these Buddhist nuns have. So, like, let me let go of who I thought I was supposed to be. And let me, like, learn from these ladies about what it is to just let go of the food 
And so for a year, I had to practice eating stuff that was like, are you kidding me? What, what is that meat? Like, what? Um, and it was the best thing that happened in my, in my abstinence. And I did, I, I, everybody goes to India and gets sick and like loses weight. And there was the, the little bulimic part of me that's like, I can't wait to go to India and lose weight. And like, I was the one person that came back 15 pounds heavier, you know? Um, and it was so humbling to my spiritual program because it was like, it was a spiritual awakening for me to let go of the control of the food. And just be like, this is what it is. This is my spiritual program because it was all about acceptance and it was all about compassion and it was all about like letting go of the facade of who I thought I was and just getting down to like, yo, when you're meditating eight hours a day and you like have to let go of the crazy bulimic, like we are on a rigid, we are doing yoga and we are doing spinning and we are like eating this specific and no, none of that is happening now because you're sitting with Buddhist nuns. Like that's, that's the epicenter of spirituality. Yeah. And now we're photographing the Dalai Lama for Time Magazine. And it was like, all of a sudden God was like, you said, you know, you came into this program and you said you were willing to let go and surrender. And you said you wanted a spiritual awakening. Like, that's what we come in here for, right? It says in the promises, you will know a new freedom and a new happiness. How many of us really flip and know what that looks like? Day after day, I measured my food. I weighed my food. I was consistent for 15 years. And then I land in India. And I had no idea why day after day I had done that. I did that because when you get that spiritual calling, you show up, and then at a certain point, you just have to let go of that control. Because I realized that to a certain extent, all that discipline led me to the path of freedom. And that freedom was my heart's desire, which was it's not about the food anymore. When you really get that it's really, it's about the food until it's not about the food. It's, it's about the food until it's not about the food. And then I came back 15 pounds heavier, and then it was about the food again. <laughs> you know, then it was about, like, now we have to dial it back in, and it is about the food again. And it is about going to meetings again. And it is about, like, integrating all this, like, quantum, amazing, you know, like, compassion and love. And, like, what was this experience of, like, photographing the Dalai Lama for Time Magazine and how do I like integrate that into my everyday life and move forward with that and how do I just like integrate all of this and be of service with it and that's that has been the ebb and flow of my OA program is how do I have these amazing amazing spiritual awakenings and stay grounded and how I stay grounded is I stay rooted in just, it's just this, it's just my food. You know, it's so simple. When I feel like out there, when I feel dizzy, when I feel lightheaded, I'm like, where are you at with your food? When was the last time you ate? Did you have some protein? Where, where are you at with water? Have you had water? Are you breathing? Are your feet on the ground? Did you breathe? Have some more water. And it like, it is about the body. It is about getting here until, like, we transcend. And then we have to bring it back again 
so that we can be of service to others. And I think that's it for me. Thank you. Our second speaker is Zan S. Everybody, I'm Zan. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, happy to be here. Is everyone having a fabulous weekend? Woo! I am. I want to thank Diane for asking me to speak on my favorite subject. And um, abstinence is the most important thing in my life, without exception. Before I got to OA, the longest I could stay away from a gutter full-out binge was four days. I was not a successful dieter. Well, they talk about the yo-yo. I was just the yo, you know, because (laughs) I I wasn't able to, like, really lose weight. I just kept gaining, you know, just kept going up this horrifying new, you know, mountaintop on the scale. Um, The longest I ever did diet was uh, two and a half weeks, and that was to get into this ballet company. And needless to say, I blew that by gaining so much weight that when I took after that dieting, which was pre-digested liquid protein, if you're old enough to remember it, um, the, the ballet teacher, I did the audition, and she said, I'm sorry, but we're not running a spa for fat dancers. So, um, but my top weight was about 45 pounds more than I am now, and it was that complete, like some, the woman, wonderful speaker last night said, constantly chasing, even if it was, it started with five pounds, you know, because I started overeating when I was about 12, and it, you know, then it became 10, and blah, 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 blah. So, um, and I'm here today to tell you that I have been not only at, a, at goal weight, but free from any desire or thought or obsession for food for 31 years. <laughs> you know, and of course, as Terrell says, you're applauding for God, who I did not understand and refused to accept when I came here. Uh, I heard a physicist speak last hour, and I was so impressed. And he walked in as an atheist, too. And it was he said he was, um, I guess, a child of scientists. Well, I was a, ch- a child of actors and a director, you know, actor and director. And so it wasn't the science thing, but they were both card-carrying members of the Communist Party. So we were, God was for the weak and the stupid, you know. And today, so by the way, I came into OA before the beginning of time. In 1976, I've been in a long, long time. Um, Oh, I lost my train of thought there. But, oh, yes, it's just that when I came in, uh, I I was, you know, an atheist, Um, needless to say. Oh, yes, and I'm weak and I'm stupid. And all these years, religious people were weak and stupid. All these years later, I realized that 50% of that was 100% 100 right. I'm not stupid. In fact, most of us are too intelligent to get this program. But I am weak. And I am at over food, and I, as, I am as weak today over food as the day I walked in this door. And I get the chills. As long as I remember that, I think I'm going to be abstinent. If I take that back, I can handle it. I can handle it. I'm in trouble. And that was the first step. This is powerless over food. That, I, that was the other thing I wouldn't accept. I'm not powerless over anything. You know, one, so one, they were both communists, and one was also a wasp, which means we do everything, and you just, if you fail at something, what do you do? You raise the bar so it's even harder to, you know, get it next time. So all of that good stuff that we all share. Um, and, and I realized, after all these years, the secret to my success. No, that sounds ridiculous. But um, my, the, the reason that, that I'm free from the food today, and I'm going to backtrack again, there were, I think, three things I wanted when I came here. First, of course, was to be thin. 
Second was to, I guess, maintain the weight. And the third, which I thought would be never, ever possible, would be to not crave binging anymore. Um, And I have been free of that, free of that for 31 years. Imagine trying to white-knuckle it, you know, I mean, maybe for 30 days, but not 32 years. Anyway, here's my secret. If it's not an option, it's not a problem. And that's the thing. (laughs) Um, And, of course, you know, when I first came in here, I was willing to do all of the work. Like, I'd already been into years of therapy, and this was, okay, so late 70s, like the rash of self-help books, right? Raise your hand if you have, like, several that you've given away in garage sales. (laughs) And um, um, I forgot why I said that, but just that, you know, there were all kinds of things about, you know, you can eat whatever you want, blah, 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 blah. And um, I just found that when it was an option, I'm in hell. I'm an overeater's hell. And for some magical reason, and I love the word magic because it's in so many parts of my life, there's so much magic, and yet I'm a very, very grounded person. But guess what? Magic is in the big book. That word's in the big book, you guys. I love that shit. So, um, um, and it actually, there it says, action is the magic word. Um, But anyway, so um, it's like this magic thing. Like, who would ever think that by leaving it out and not having it at all, would be the answer. And, um, oh, yeah, so that when I came in, you know, I, was, I had been to all this therapy and, you know, all the workbooks. And, I, I, I mean, I could write about myself and my feelings forever. I would do any, like, you know, the part in the big book or the 12 and 12 where it says, few of us would be willing to do all this work, blah, blah, blah. Well, I wanted to do it because I thought, for one thing, if I could just work a little harder, I could get this thing called life down. And, by the way, you know, I'm here to say I still have that tendency. If I could just get a tighter grip on my, you know, around life, things will go well. So um, anyway, uh, but the one thing I didn't want to do was put the fork down. (laughs) I'll do the more writing. I'll call my sponsor. I'll go to another meeting. But I don't want to stop eating. Don't make me stop eating, you know. So um, anyway, so I want to just tell you my path. Uh, yeah, so I started uh, overeating when I was about 12. I was a very, very serious ballet student, all the perfectionism and everything, and hit puberty, gained like four pounds, and my ballet teacher started to harp on me. He was a crazy, crazy guy, uh, would be arrested today, but he used to weigh us all. He would say, you get on the scale that was between his feet, and then he would start to call us really, really bad names, and he used to hit us with a stick and correct us all the time and all of this stuff, and I had to wear pink tights, and my body was my tool, you know, so what better way to self-sabotage? And, and I love to tell that story because that had nothing to do with why I was an overeater. Can't blame that teacher, can't blame any of those outside circumstances, you know. Um, you know, I guess I was just born with it. And I do know that, you know, I definitely have all of the the, the personality, you know, reasons for being an overeater. Um, but that, so that was the scene. So I uh, gained a little weight and then just be, went on the rampage. My obsession began, um, again, preceded by a lot of self-obsession. I like to tell this story, too. You know, my parents were in, were in theater and stuff, so, and, and it was, you know, the 70s, so the whole thing was 
Um, express yourself. If it feels good, do it. If it doesn't feel good, don't do it. You know, and um, that's another thing. I, I love the slogan, Act As If. Thank God there was an answer <laughs> because I kept waiting in so many facets of my life to until I felt like it, you know. And same in abstinence. You know, it took me about five years in OA going to tons of meetings to get to get back-to-back abstinence. And I, I love to share that for anyone who is struggling. Um, but thank God I don't have to pay attention to my feelings today. Oh, my God. And my thoughts either. You know, it's, it doesn't matter where my head is. It matters where my butt is, you know, or my feet are. So um, anyway, binging, 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 and just increasingly big like, like uh, everyone else, the size of my binges. I wasn't a bulimic or anorexic, um, although I had wished so many times, and I don't wish that anymore. I've heard too many stories here. Um, but I wished for that. Um, and I used to eat Cadbury chocolate bars. Thoughts of recognition up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is, again, way back when. And they were much bigger than they are today and all this stuff. My dad would eat them, so I would go. And he would, like, notoriously have two, one, one and a half at his bedside. So I would go. I'd polish off one and then eat the second one, of course, and then have to rush to the store and get it to replace it before he got home. So um, stuff like that. You know, I was a big candy bar person because, you know, the, the denser I could get that sugar and fat, the better. So candy bars and donuts. Um, all the diets. I still have my Weight Watchers card from, it was probably 1975, and, um, you know, I blew that program. And um, like I told you, I did the pre-digested liquid protein, really proud of that. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know, that was, you fasted. You did not eat at all. And it was just this, I don't know what, it, I guess it was like refined protein or in liquid form, and it tasted vile, like throw up. And you just had like four tablespoons, you know, and stuff like that. And, um, um, oh, and then just very recently I thought to myself, who pre-digested that anyway? You know, <laughs> they never told us. <laughs> Um, another thing I tried, which this goes back to the self-help book, you know, because because there was a period there, and I think it still goes on today, that, well, your whole problem, you compulsive overeater, is that you're depriving yourself. So if you just let yourself eat some of everything, and I really, I am not perfect, and I hate it when I hear, like, the talk show hosts talk about this stuff, because it is so wrong. But I thought, okay, I'm going to try it. And I went out, and I had this meal that normal people eat, a club sandwich and a piece of pumpkin pie for dessert. You know, I thought, okay, you know, of course, what did I do? I ended up binging the entire night. I, you know, you start, it, you start it with me and it doesn't end. You know, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. So, um, so I, I found OA. I was 18 years old and uh, saw this gal with fabulously slim, shapely legs and heard about OA and came to the program. And, uh, you know, it's, pr- it's so radical, I've, you know, thought, recently. It's radical because you walk in this room and you're thinking of finding a diet and a scale and like one of the very first words you hear, if not the first, is God. (laughs) And that's tough for a lot of us. So, but anyway, and so I was really turned off, worried about that because I thought maybe I'd found something that would work and I was worried about that. Um, But what I did instantly relate to is that here were these people who had been like suicidally depressed, like me, like I, and uh, they had a sparkle in their eye, but the real glue was that they had lost their weight and kept it off. 
And I hadn't heard that occurring anywhere, you know, and reading the women's magazine stained with ice cream, you know, for my next diet. I remember the statistics like 89% of the people who successfully lose their weight gain it back. So I thought, look, I've never even lost weight. How am I going to keep it off? You know, and here it was in living color. So I, I've, I haven't stopped coming since 1976, except for one month when I was trying to get into that ballet company. But my big, big book was in my closet, and I took it down, and I opened it after the failed audition. And I said, oh, I'm powerless over food. But I still didn't get abstinence. So what happened was um, I kept going to meetings, kept going to meetings, and... Um, hit this period of, like, control where I thought, I knew it was just a phase. I knew I would grow out of this because I would have one binge and not another for a month. And that was like, I'm good. I'm good. I got this nailed down. Lost some weight. And then, of course, what happened was that once a month became two weeks later, became one week later, and then became daily. And I think more than anything, it was like pure fear and vanity that catapulted me into the fifth dimension. (laughs) Because that night when I had that binge, and I hope it's my last, uh, I went to this huge meeting the next morning. I had been going to, and I loved it. It was this big. How many people do you think in this room? 150 or something? Maybe more than that. Our meeting was about 100 to 150 every Saturday morning. And people were glowing, you know, with abstinence and big book and spirituality. I wanted what they had, but I couldn't get there. And so I, because of that fear and that vanity that I was going to gain all my weight back, I did something entirely different that morning. And that was to go up to someone to ask her to sponsor me who intimidated the hell out of me. Because I had been just, you know, keeping it comfortable. That was another thing in that era. It was like... Just keep it comfortable, you know. And But I was desperate. And I, and I love that, like our slogans now are, I wish for you, if you're struggling with abstinence, the desperation and fear that I had, you know, um, and that you're out of ideas. I love that, you know, I was just out of ideas. I was out of, you know, therapeutic ideas, dieting ideas, any ideas. It's like, and you know, the, the, I have the copy of the original How It Works chapter, and it says, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our directions. And, and that's my one-liner for how the F do I get abstinent? And it's follow your sponsor's direction. For me, my personal opinion, all of this is my opinion, of course, is get someone with long-term abstinence. That means they've figured out how to do it and they can keep it. And get someone, I call it goal weight. And people sometimes like to lynch me up because of it. But I think that's, you know, we got it. Let's be real. We've got eyes here. You know, we can be discerning. Judgment gets me in trouble. Critical, you know, character assassination gets me in in trouble, for sure. But um, we can be discerning. So, um, what was, oh, yes, follow our directions. And that's what I hear over and over and over again from people who with long-term abstinence is, you know, and my friend Kathy Wilkinson, there's probably nobody in this room who remembers her, but way back when she used to say, if my sponsor told me to eat blue food, I would say how many ounces. And that's the deal. Like, we just, we give up the fight, and there's no more argument left. And step one, two, three works you. You know, it's like, one, and, and, and it's like so what is really the answer? How do you get there? I kept eating. That is what got me. And that's what the big book says. It says the food becomes the great convincer. And that's a persuader. That's exactly what. Not the decider, but the persuader. No, just kidding. That was a political joke. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
Um, so anyway, and, and that's what I was really thinking about this morning coming in here, is that it's also um, the secret is not in the food plan, per se. How, how much time do I have? Five more minutes. Thank you. Um, now, two, two parts to this. Honesty, that's the other thing that, that to how it works says over and over and over. Honesty, yeah. I had to be self-honest about what I knew I could eat, not eat just one of, right? And that's what I have to abstain from. And these days it's so confusing because for a long time we didn't have any food plans. And I have a real actual gray sheet at home, laminated gray sheet. I wanted to bring it. Um, there were other options when I came in. Um, but for a long time we had nothing, and now we have dignity of choice. You know, don't give a compulsive overeater a choice. You know, that's the. But um, there's so many different ways depending on what part of town you go to. I'm serious. I live in LA. It's radically different from the valley. You know, and I like to go where the strength is. I won't tell you which one. Where it is. anyway. Um, but but so so it starts with. And I couldn't do sugar. I could not do sugar. And for a whole first year, my sponsor said three meals a day, no sugar, flour, or starch, which meant not even a potato, no bran, nothing. But, and again, that was kind of like that blue food, uh, how many ounces? Because that's probably not really healthy to not eat any starch or any grain, but I just did it. And you know what? I was fine because I was just willing, desperate to follow direction. So, um, after a year, I decided to add back bread, and but I did it, you know, like from that base of surrender. I called my girlfriend Doreen, who I, she has 33 years of absence. I said, "I'm going to commit one piece of toast, and I'm going to call you afterward." And that's how it went, you know. So today, I eat a greater variety of foods. But um, uh, but what I really want to say, and I'll just wrap up with this. Oh, I have to one more pearl of wisdom. So I've had this spiritual inferiority complex for 30 seven years in program that I thought, in fact, I even had a um, sponsee fire me because she didn't think I was spiritual enough. Because I told her, well, if you want a new apartment, you have to look for one. (laughs) You know, you can't just pray, right? But um, I have always thought that, like, you know, for some reason, I'm not like those people who get up here and they're, like, glowing, and I love them, and they've been my sponsors, but I've never been that way. But guess what? I'm so excited about this. Um... You know, suddenly, out of nowhere, I realized that a spiritual experience, as it's defined in our big book and the appendices at the ends, all it is is a change of attitude. And I have a change of attitude several times a day. So I am a spiritual giant. <laughs> right? And, and you all are. You all are. So I just want to finish up is that I know many, many people, uh, not that many, but with over 30 years of abstinence. I'm going to name them Doreen, Terrell, Natalie, Barbara, Jack, Ida, Jack Z, and Spencer. And those are just the ones I can think of. And I'm here to tell you that we all eat differently. So again, it's, um, it starts with the honesty. What can't I touch and what do I... I don't need a sponsor to tell me what to eat. I know. I mean, sometimes that, that really works. But I know deep, not so deep inside what I can't just eat one of. But from there, it's, it's the surrender. That's how I... I couldn't be pushing the table away for 32 years. I'd be, have murdered several people by now, you know. Um, but I love that because we all eat differently. Uh, they, but they all hit bottom. And that I wish for you. Thank you. Our third speaker is Janine.
Hi, I'm Janine, a compulsive overeater. Hi, Janine. A grateful person. Freedom. I eat everything in moderation. I don't have to buy freedom. I don't have to buy whole bags of candy and eat them and feel bad and go back for more the next day. That's freedom. I can walk near the aisle at the drugstore with the big bags of candy and do this. <laughs> On the sale day after the holiday, like we have 4th of July coming up, and the manufacturers change the shape or the size of the alcoholic food. In Christmas time, they're round. Easter, they're egg-shaped. Halloween, they're like pumpkins. It's all the same stuff. Alcoholic foods for me. To abstain from them is freedom. Today, I can bake dozens of cookies and send them to my son's school, save some for my family and put their name on them, and not obsess about them. Abstinence in Overeaters Anonymous is the action of refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors while working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight. Spiritual, emotional, and a physical recovery is the result of living the Overeaters Anonymous 12-step program. I struggled for 24 years in the OA program with my abstinence. I came in in, in 1983. When I was a baby, my mom gave me a pacifier with honey on the end of it. The message was clear. Sweet stuff will make you feel better. When I was two years old, my dad incested my sister, who was five. Where was my mom? She was very dependent on him, although she spoke of leaving him several times. So those were my role models, a monster and a victim. I have since learned that my dad's dad was a rageaholic also, and, and he hit my uncle in the back with a brick, and my uncle had like back problems his whole life. My favorite uncle, he's an awesome man. The people I trusted the most were not trustworthy, so guess what I became? A rageaholic, a victim, and a bully. I stayed on the pity pot from age 2 to age 49. There are, and then I learned that there are no victims, only volunteers. Okay? You getting that? There are no victims, only volunteers. So I can continue to live and complain, and we talked about this at the meditation this, this morning, rise and shine, or rise and whine. <laughs> <laughs> I can continue to complain about being a victim after those role models are dead and gone. God rest their souls. This is my mom's necklace. Or I can reparent myself and realize that I'm a child of God, a beautiful person inside and out. That bull and that victim were inside my heart, which was a china shop. And once I freed my heart of that bull and that victim and forgave them and made amends with them and replaced that hole in my soul with my higher power instead of the three food groups, sugar, salt, and saturated fat. Until I started to eat half of what I ate before at a meal, I used to be 180. Instead, I, I would eat three banquets a day and nothing in between, right? But I saw that I could go like with a half of a sandwich instead of a whole one, a half of a small bag of chips instead of a whole one, a half of an apple instead of a whole one. And then... If I was served that, I would have lunch for the next day. But until I could do that, I couldn't see the beauty in my heart and in the world and in you. 
and you, and you, and you. (laughs) Now I can tiptoe around those dark places and notice how fragile and precious my life is, how fragile and precious I am. It's the weakness that binds us together and to the higher power. That is why the fellowship is so important, and these weekends are so awesome. The title of the workshop is Freedom, Abstinence No Matter What, Letting Go of the Food. And I think one thing we all three will say is abstinence is the most important thing in my life without exception. More important than family, friends, and job, abstinence is my most precious possession. Ages four, five, and six, there was lots of food around the home, yelling, arguing at the dinner table. I couldn't, and there was also yelling and arguing around sleep time. So guess what? I have the most problems around food and sleep. I was hit with a belt if I was unruly. At a young age, I remember eating my mom's lipstick and eating butter. Yuck, right? I had everything I wanted materially, but no emotional or spiritual support. I use food for comfort and so on and on ad nauseum. In college, with no parental control, I ate a huge breakfast, starved the rest of the day except huge amounts of candy, and added a whole pizza for the evening. People wouldn't see me doing this. If I went out on a date, I would eat like a bird. I did all my eating in private. I stole food from my roommates and from the refrigerator in the hall. I felt like nothing I did was good enough. And we'll talk about that enough. I joined Overeaters Anonymous in 1983, just after moving from Chicago to Seattle. I realized I couldn't eat homemade bread all day and be sane. The disease for me is one of isolation and disconnection. If the problem is isolation and disconnection, the solution is connection. Letting people get to know me, letting go of the secrets, and hiding and thinking I might bother someone if I ask for help. The program tells us that together we can do what we could never do alone. Our common welfare should come first. It's about the group. It's not about me. In the book, Came to Believe, it talks about being a part of the society of the second chance. I had abandoned my life. I get another chance to love myself. So from 1983 to 2007, I worked the steps. I went in and out of abstinence. I worked with sponsors. I worked by myself. I tried other programs. I tried diets. I thought I should be on your food plan or your food plan or the grace sheet or the how plan. But during those years, I realized now I was getting a lot of emotional and spiritual recovery. I didn't have the physical. I could not put the food down. Until an incident happened, my sister had just come into OA and she said, Jeannie, you used to do that. My name's Janine, but my, my family calls me Jeannie. She said, Jeannie, you used to be in OA. What, how come you don't go to meetings anymore? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, I have to keep up with my sister, right? I better get back in there. So um, my son and I were in the kitchen, and I was cooking. He was watching TV or, or doing his homework or both. And somebody had the remote. Somebody changed the station, and... The other person picked up the remote, and all of a sudden, we're fighting. I slap him. He hits me. He's 16. He's big. And I call the cops. 
And the cops come and they tell him, if, you, if this happens again or if we see any trouble in this place ever again, you're going to jail. Now, this kid is a star student. He still is. He just graduated from the uh, United States Merchant Marine Academy, eighth in his class, with four awards, monetary and academic awards. So praise God. <laughs> but at that time, we had trouble. And um, I realized I was a rageaholic. And I was, still had that victim and bully thing going. So my sponsor suggested, she made a suggestion after working with me for a while and seeing my pattern. She said, Janine, why don't you put the sugar down for 30 days? You don't have to do it forever. Just do it for 30 days. And I said, no. <laughs> that day. And I balked, right? And then the next day I said I had come to a point um, where I understood that I'm like someone who lost their legs and I'll never grow new ones. I will never grow new legs. I had to get the gift of desperation. We are like those who have been rescued from a sinking ship. I had to realize the fatal nature of the malady. I found phone meetings, and if anybody's interested in that, I'm going to say the number now, so get out a piece of paper. Get on OA.org. OA.org, it's the website for OA World Service. And click on, if you have a computer, um, telephone meetings. And they also have, um, chat, what is it, um, online meetings. But I, I listen to the um, telephone meetings almost every morning. It's 6.45 a.m., this is the phone number. 712-432-5200. And it's in Pacific time zone. And there's 150 phone meetings on the, on the airwaves right now. And then this Thursday of an all holidays, Ju- July 4th, there's a marathon all day. Um, it starts at like 6 in the morning and goes to midnight. And it's the same number with a different PIN. I'll give the number again, 712-432-5200. And the PIN is um, 4285-115-POUND. Oh, that was, that's the marathon number. I'm sorry. The other one, the 6.45 a.m. Pacific Time meeting, is here's the PIN. It's a personal identification number. It's a PIN. So you dial in 712-432-5200, and then a little man comes out and he says, this is Overeaters Anonymous. Please put in your PIN code. And then you put in this number, 836-731, and then the pound sign, like the number sign. And if you, July 4th is the marathon, and that's the 4285-115-pound um, Ask me at the end. Okay. The World Service number, if you don't have a computer, is 505-891-2664, and they'll send you a copy of all these meetings. And they do change, so keep um, abreast of the changes. So I got on the phone, and I started to listen to phone meetings. I also listened to the OA 12 and 12 on tape, wherever I went. (laughs) I had that thing. I had program in my ears 20, you know, a lot of time of the day. I committed myself to lead the phone meeting at 7 a.m., and we read the abstinence book cover to cover, because that's the thing that I couldn't get. I got the emotional, somewhat. I got the spiritual easily, but the physical was just driving me crazy. 
I didn't want to have cookies on my breath when I was on the phone leading the meeting, so I stopped eating them. How do I stay on the program? Prayer and meditation every day. Eating abstinently on a food plan. Use the tools, do service. It's a part-time job. Face it. You have to take time. Waking up free, going to bed free, feeling good about the size of my body, the food choices and amounts. Regarding my dad and all the bad stuff, abortion, adoption, I gave up a child, two bad marriages, everyone who's harmed me, I've learned and I believe that there's a bit of good in the worst of us and a bit of bad in the best of us. And we're all children of God. I've ceased fighting everything and everyone, even my alcoholic foods. There are no bad foods, in my opinion. Certain foods work work better in my system. We don't struggle. When agitated, we... Foods that set up cravings. I have an allergy of the body. We talked about that and an obsession of the mind. Once I take an allergic food or a compulsive bite into my mouth, it sets up a craving for more and more. So I plan what works. This weekend, I'm in the boutique. i got these earrings in this top. <laughs> I brought myself some, a snack. I knew I wasn't going to go out in this heat and go get food, but I knew I needed to eat in between breakfast and lunch because I take a snack at 10. We went on a trip to my son's graduation I told you about in New York. We were getting back at 6 o'clock. We had um, a meal in Houston, I think, on the way home. But I knew that I would be tired because we'd get home at 6 o'clock in the evening. We wouldn't have anything in the fridge. It was a five-day trip. Luckily, apples last that long. So I had a few apples in there for the next morning. I had some frozen turkey links in the freezer and oatmeal, and that was a great breakfast. I had a snack of some nuts, and I have to be careful with nuts, and a half of an apple, and then I was ready. The bags were unpacked. I was ready to go to the store, and those kinds of things are very helpful because I'm rested, and I can make good choices. I like to have vegetables for breakfast. The health professionals tell us you have 8 to 11 servings of, of fruits and vegetables, and I like to get them in early kale, spinach, those kinds of things in my, in my um, eggs. When my husband's over here crunching food at night after I've had my meal, God bless him, I let him, I let him have those things. And I look on the side of the package, and there's nothing in there that's any good. It's, it's this long, and none of it is real food. Binging helped me maintain the illusion of control. I'm a control freak. And this weekend, being part of the boutique and not having control over every second. I mean, there's people in there now selling things. I don't know what's going on. But helping, <laughs> helping, listen to this one, can be the sunny version of control. Isn't that cool? I have insane thoughts. How much time do I have, darling? Around two minutes. I have a mental illness about food. I have insane thoughts about food. I used food to harm myself. Have you heard of people who cut themselves? I took a class on um, suicide prevention for teenagers when I was working at a school. Their point is to create more physical pain so they don't feel the emotional pain. And that's why they cut themselves. And that's what I did with food. I killed myself slowly, one bite at a time, on the installment plan, one self-deprecating thought at a time, 
and I don't have to do that anymore. I've had to learn what is enough. Half of what I used to eat is enough, but I had to also learn what is enough love in my life. What is enough sex? What is enough time at work? What is enough time alone? Time with children. I love children. If I go for more than a few you know, weeks or three weeks without seeing my grandson, I'm like, I want to see you so bad. He's so cute. Time with God. I used to like think I should take time with God. Now I think I have a date with my higher power, and I want to go, and I want to have a great time. Time in nature, time near the sea. What do I need today? Time in the forest. So what is enough? That's a real big part of my recovery. Not what should I do, not I should do that, but what do I need today? I could every time, like, take as a practice, walk through the doorway and think about my higher power. And when I look on that list, that never ends, right? Did I do enough today? Is everything checked off the list? There's one thing left, and I'm going to focus on that, right? No, I'm going to do that thing tomorrow. Because I know in my heart that I am enough. Leave those other things for tomorrow. I'm on a journey to discover how can I best serve God and have loving relationships with my fellows. My purpose is to carry the message to the compulsive eater who still suffers. Thank you very much. I love this program. Okay. The meeting is now open for questions from the floor. We ask that panelists limit your answers to three minutes and confine your share to your experience, strength, and hope on the topic discussed today. This session ends at 2.15 p.m. Okay. Okay, so if you have a question, I think you're supposed to come up here. No? Okay, or you can call out your question, and then uh, whoever answers, if you could repeat the question so it can be recorded. Okay. Siddiqui, grateful, recovering, um, compulsive reader. And Wendy asked a question about what do you do when you have a sponsee that is in the program, apparently has been in the program for a while and is really struggling with food. Um, the basis of this program is the steps. And the steps are the basis of our recovery. And so when I have a sponsee, which I do now, who is struggling with the food and who will call me with, you know, a, pro, uh, a problem on okay Cupid, and then the food, and then the this, and then that. And I'm always like, it is always about the step. What step are we on? Where are you at with the steps? And like, you know, back on track with the steps. And I refuse to talk about anything else. 
And it's just like it's always laser focus on the steps and coming back to whatever format of the steps we're working and, and somehow like <clears throat> tying everything that she's doing back to the step that we're on. And it's not that I refuse to listen to any of the, the life issues, but it's just like the recovery is truly in the steps and everything else is the tools. The fellowship is the tools. Sponsorship is the tools. Meetings are the tools. The food plan is a tool. Those are all tools. The recovery is in the steps, so it has to be about the steps. And if we're not working the steps, we're not going to get abstinent. That's my that's my experience, strength, and hope. Thanks for the question, Wendy. Because I've been thinking about this myself. My my former sponsor, she didn't. Uh, sponsor people if they were still in the food past the third step. And she and she said that the first one hundred, they didn't they didn't go through the steps with them if they were still drinking. So why should we go through them with them if they're still eating? And then I listened to a podcast on um, LA Intergroup by a woman named Sheila. And you can just if you have a computer, just punch that in. LA Intergroup Sheila Sponsoring chronic slippers, and it'll come right up. And you listen to it, and you can download it and listen to it again. And I called her because I had some questions, and she called me back. And we talked about it, and and she said, I'm going to stay with you until you're done. When you're done eating, that's great, and then we'll go on. But I'm going to stick with you until you're done, until you're ready to be done. And I love that. I just, I just think that that's the way to go and, and work the steps around all the other, you know, fooling around. Thanks. And I've had the exact opposite experience. My rule for myself is as long as they're doing what we agree to do together, we work together. I don't care how much they're eating, but if they're not doing the footwork, then I let them go. But... Uh, repeatedly what usually happens is those people fall away themselves and it's no longer an issue but i've i've you know fired people and this is not about tooting my own horn but it saved her life you know because when we when we really just put down the thing and say no more fooling around you know and she's now the, the manager of the derby dolls roller derby rink anyway it's true I just felt 
My experience with that, to answer your question, no. It can't be. It wasn't for me. Oh, the, repeating the question, uh, she said she feels like if she lets go of all the troublesome food, right, that it's going to kind of drive you crazy and not going to work. All desserts. Uh, and, and alternatively, could it be a process of, like, a slow elimination versus cold turkey? And so my experience is, no, it didn't work that way for me. Another great question. I, mine was a process. And if you saw, did, were you there last night with the guy with the big belt? If you looked in his big book, he had his abstinence written in there, or his food plan, and what he could handle and what he couldn't, and, ch- and they changed. And then he wrote a little note to himself that said, put it in pencil. <laughs> because he crossed out some things that used to be binge foods and weren't any longer, and that happened to me. That happened to me. I had to say, though, I had to go for a while without any of it. I had to, like, have that uncomfortable feeling where I wanted more or I wanted that. or I, wa- I had to, like, put it in its place. Find respect for it because it can kick my butt. And I feel like that. I mean, a peanut butter is like that. I have to be careful with it. And my husband's going to bring a snack for us. He's, we're going to hang out at the pool this afternoon. And I said, bring me half a sandwich. Bring me half a peanut butter because we don't have to refrigerate that. But I used to eat jars of this stuff. So I have to be careful. And there's certain things that I could care less about that you know, I wouldn't want to you know, eat massive quantities. But that's an individual thing. That's why I could never follow anybody else's food plan. I have to have Janine's food plan with my higher powers and signature and my, higher po- and my sponsor's endorsement. It's, it's my food plan. It doesn't, I don't care what anyone else's is. Thanks. I love this question. Have you ever, um, how many people here drink coffee? <clears throat> have you ever gone like a day without coffee and you get that like wicked headache? Um, for me, sugar is like that. If I go out to like Thai food and sugar is in it, um, I don't consider that a slip because I didn't, I mean, I now avoid Thai food because as far as I'm concerned, Thai food, like there's just going to be sugar in it. Um, and I'm just, I'm so sick of the, like, I get migraines. So if there is sugar in something, I get a migraine, and, you know, it's just not worth it. Um, my point is that um, at some point, I just get sick of dealing with the side effects of the stuff. And so I avoid it like the plague, because my migraine medication is like $75 a pill. And, like, and my migraine will wipe me out for three days, and that's how sensitive I am to sugar now. Two years ago, I had my tonsils out. And um, if you've ever had your tonsils out as an adult, it is, they say it's the most painful surgery. And I'm like, oh, whatever. <laughs> oh, my God, I could not eat for a month. Like, literally, it was so painful. So I had to have um, sugar-free ice cream. And, and it was literally the only thing I could eat. And I was so flippin' sick of sugar-free ice cream by the time the whole thing was done. I was like, I just want some real food. I just want some protein. And um, I was so happy to have, like, real food by the time the whole thing was done. I never wanted sugar-free ice cream again in my life. Every once in a while, I will have some sugar-free frozen yogurt. But it's not an issue. It's like I can take it or leave it. It's the only dessert-like thing. 
And like, if I, if my sponsor said, no, you're not doing it. Like Zan, like her sponsor of my sponsor. And I talked to my sponsor and, um, if she said, you can't have it, then I wouldn't have it. And it would, that would be it. Although my sponsor is not my higher power with my food. Um, the other thing is, is anything in my food plan that I say, no, never, I could never give this up when I'm eating it is a red flag for me. And when um, my naturopath told me my family has a history of autoimmune disorders and my, my sister and my mother have severe rheumatoid arthritis and we had genetic tests done um, and the, the doctor said that I had the precursors for rheumatoid arthritis and um, I had gotten in a severe car accident and I had a brain scan and they saw all these lesions on my brain and they said, we think you have MS. And so I was like, oh, hell to the no. Am I going to have another major disease? Because <laughs> I'm like counting on my fingers. I'm like, that's five. I'm not adding six. And so I went to a naturopath, and they said, if you quit having um, gluten and soy and dairy right now, like the chances are that those, those are the foods that aggravate autoimmune diseases. And if you quit having them right now, you, you will most likely not... Um, propel yourself into the disease. And so I, like, that was it. I just stopped, stopped having those things. And, um, you know, that was, that was five years ago. And so I would just say the things, you know, write in pencil what you can and can't have. And I did not think that those were big deals. I, I never cared about bread. I was under the covers practically sucking my thumb for two weeks when I gave up those things because I didn't realize how, how acclimated my body was to having, like there was a, there was a protein bar that I traveled around the world with that had soy in it. And that protein bar had become like my staple of my go-to thing. And all of a sudden I didn't have it. So Yes, you may just have to go cold turkey. Like, if you decide to quit caffeine, there's people that can titrate themselves off of it. I'm the kind of person, like, if I'm going to quit, I'm just going to have to just do it cold turkey. I'm going to have to yank the plug, and I'm just going to have to go for it. And I'm going to have to tough it out for, like, however many days it takes me to go through the headache and the migraine. And then it'll just be done. And, like, the physical allergy of the body, once it's out of your system, the craving will leave. And when the craving's gone, you just won't, you know, then you're just up against the psychological thing of like, oh, it looks really good. But when it's out of our bodies, we don't, we're not up against the same thing. So if you're truly a food addict, once you give up that food, but to slowly, to slowly be struggling with the physical craving, little bits, that's just torture, if you ask me. It's just torture, so, I mean, if I was, if, if I had a sponsee that was saying, should I, should I not, I would say, like drinking. If you don't believe that you're an alcoholic, go out and try controlled drinking and see how it works. For me, that was the quickest way to find that I was an alcoholic. For me, that was the quickest way to find that I'm a sugar addict. For me, that's the quickest way to find that I'm addicted to anything to try to control it. It never works. That is all the time we have for sharing. It is now time to close this session. Let's thank our speakers and all who have done service for the session. Thank you, Carol, for timing. 
If you enjoy this workshop, we encourage you to stop by the tape table to order copies of this session or any other session. All workshops and main speaker events are being recorded and are available on CD or as an electronic download. Please join hands as we close with the OA promise, the I put my hand in yours.